Hey everybody and welcome to the Halloween episode of the Cinema Psych podcast. I'm really excited to do this show. We're going to have a little bit of uh, fun messing around with the time of year. I hope you noticed the subtle intro music that we did. I thought it was going to be fun. I'm going to mess around with uh, some other editing techniques this time around too. So keep an eye out for that. I hope everyone also hears that we have changed the bumper too to something kind of spooky. So we're going to get right into this episode. We're going to get right into it. But before we do, like, subscribe, follow us on social media, please. You know, wherever you get your podcast, that would be lovely. All right. My guest today is Dr. Randy Stein. Randy is an assistant professor of marketing at the College of Business at Cal Poly Pomona, which is in, wait for it, Pomona, California. He has a PhD in social psychology from Yale University. His work includes, with me, of course, your one and true host here, uh, on topics like how uh, people differ in their views about reality, how that relates to political ideology and personality assessments. And then we have a great new paper, which Randy will probably plug at the end of this episode because I'll, I'll, I'll prod him to a newish paper on issues with the one, the only Myers-Briggs type indicator. Randy, say hi. Hello, and welcome to the listeners for this very special spooky edition. Yeah, spooky edition indeed. Um, now I'm going to have to do like one for every friggin' holiday. Um, that's, that's right. <laughs> I know. All right, Randy, you brought a special film with you today. But before we get I to do. that one, uh, let me ask you uh, a couple of questions. Because you're not actually a psychology teacher. How dare you, by the way? I, I, am, I am a social psychologist, but not a teacher of psychology. Right. So I'm going to change up my questions just a little bit. And I I think this fits with uh, the discussion that we're going to have today. So um, first of all, I ask this of all of my guest hosts, what do you love about film? And how does being a psychologist change your relationship with film? So uh, I think it's changed it quite quite a bit and i think i don't know if you relate to this but kind of being being a social psychologist changes your relationship to probably pretty much everything and i look at i look at film primarily as as entertainment and what i enjoy out of it is is watching a vision a writer or a director their vision come to life and i think what i think what maybe changes how i view film compared to other folks who aren't psychologists and maybe compared to other social psychologists, uh, is I don't, I don't really, I don't really turn to film for messages. I don't really turn to film for lessons because it's fiction. And I kind of feel like we have the empirical work of psychology for that. Um, so rather than looking for messages, I kind of just look for, I, I, like, I really enjoy interpretation of meaning. So like one thing I'll, I'll, I really enjoy doing is, like I like Kubrick films, but not really for what he's trying to say, but just like how he's saying it. Um, like I like like 2001: A Space Odyssey, 
I, I certainly will enjoy, enjoy having conversations about what the, the monoliths represent. But if he's trying to make some point about how like we're going too far with technology, like I'm just like, yeah, like cool dude, but you're just a guy. So who, who really cares what you have to say about that? Um, and the other thing that, that, that I think has really changed is like, I've kind of given up on the idea that, uh, there's there's some there's some correct objective way of viewing any anything really but especially especially film and kind of like the way the way i see it is like we kind of the 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 way that we view uh taste including physical taste and taste in, in music and art is we're kind of there to let our beliefs about those things fill in how we feel about them and like we're supposed to be biased and uh, what I always do is because I know like we're f- feelings about movies and music and food and everything else is supposed to be guided by belief. Like I kind of try to suspend what I think about a movie until I read a few reviews uh, and watch a few, watch a few YouTube videos on it. And like, once I get that context, that really helps a lot. Uh, and to bring up our film, uh, the first time I saw it, I kind of had this, what the hell was that kind of, reaction and it wasn't until i really read some more about it that i convinced myself that it was actually amazing uh but i had to get there and i think that was me just kind of like using using the psychology of belief to be like all right like once i have the right context once i'm watching this the right way then i'm gonna like unlock what's awesome about it yeah it's interesting you bring up uh today's film because we are probably on opposite sides of it i'm gonna be kind i will be kind but uh yeah yeah i mean that's an it it's a really interesting take on film that uh, we haven't really explored, right? Um, and man, oh man, what what would you have done uh, with this before YouTube? I <laughs> I probably just would have thought it was dumb and then moved on with my life, but. <laughs> maybe because but, the reviews at the time would have just been like you know roger ebert or somebody and it would be non-spoilery or anything like that uh yeah and so it would be kind of like what they thought of it yeah reviews were not good and uh and as a as a lover of this <laughs> film i uh i i i i i love it and also as a, as a psychologist i'm fine believing multiple things at the same time I love it, but you know what? Those reviews are still right. That's fair. That's fair. All right, Randy, what film did you want to discuss today? So today we are discussing the 1979 cult classic horror movie Phantasm. Which Phantasm. Yes, yes. Which stars A. Michael Baldwin as Mike, Reggie Bannister as Reggie, Angus Scrim as the tall man, among others. And this is a very amazing film. It was made on a budget of about $300,000. It made about $12 million at the box office, so a very, very big return on investment. Uh, as, we, as we alluded to, uh, critics were not, were not kind to it at the time. They probably still wouldn't be kind to it in this, in this time. Uh, but for, for this kind of like little film that could on a relatively small budget, uh, it did, it has had a pretty big cultural impact. It kind of existed, uh, before a lot of the horror film cliches were in place. One of the themes is nightmares and the Freddy Krueger films were were, were in large part inspired by it. 
there's a few scenes, uh, particularly one involving a small killer orb, um, which I can't really explain more than that. That's just kind of is what it is. That's been yeah. uh, been very popular and probably the, the biggest way it's impacted pop culture in the newest Star Wars movies, those unofficial fan fiction films that have been put out by, by Disney. Uh, the, cap- the, the character, <laughs> Captain Phasma, is named after Phantasm because J.J. Abrams is a big fan and, in fact, uh, put together the remastered version of it a few years ago. Right, right. Now, uh, like I said... Uh, I am on the opposite side of the liking spectrum. I am with the reviewers on this one. Before we go any further, I do want to give a spoiler warning um, because we are probably going to dissect the whole thing uh, in a certain manner of speaking. So if you are a horror fan who wants to be surprised all the way throughout a film, then I suggest pausing now this podcast cast Although, going and watching and uh coming back and and uh and listening to the rest of this podcast because yeah. we do have some great insights but i am not i am not a fan of this film uh, <laughs> i watched it for the first time to prepare for this uh this episode with randy and i was gobsmacked uh um, it is a gobsmacked at, uh yeah, it is. It it's does, a gobsmacker. It smacks and I you was, in the gob. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so I, I am not, I, I, I did find some good psych concepts in it, uh, after, uh, thinking about it for a little while and then, you know, doing what Randy suggests and going and reading analyses yeah, and, and uh, that part, kind of thing. Part of, part of what's interesting about horror movies is you kind of have to know how to watch them. To, to bring up again <laughs> that like you need to have the proper context and like you can't you just can't watch it expecting expecting a Kubrick movie or a Christopher Nolan movie like it's just not it's just not that uh, and I think a lot but of, I don't even I, I wasn't even comparing it to uh, Christopher Nolan or Stanley Kubrick as far as horror I was I was trying to to say okay where's the poltergeist element where's the exorcist element where's the crazy doll element uh, from <laughs> you know recent years or like the Amityville horror or the Blair Witch Project none of that none of that grabbed me okay um, interesting but yeah we're gonna we're gonna go through we're gonna Okay. go through it so um so randy i'm gonna let you go ahead and jump in with um some of your big takeaways for this film set people up for for success when they're watching this yeah so uh so i think i guess the, the, the spoiler people might have might have tr- turned out by now but we actually know from social psych that spoilers actually increase enjoyment which makes sense because because it's uh because of fluency right the when you know what's coming, it's easier to process. And I think it actually helps. I don't want to get yelled at by people who are like, I don't want to get yelled (laughs) at by people who are like, you didn't give me a spoiler warning. So, you know, spoiler warning. Spoiler warning, but keep listening because spoilers are good, right? Um, (laughs) So, so here's kind of like, here's what happens in the movie in like in, in two minutes and kind of like why, how, uh, how I'm watching it and kind of like working through the train wreck. So it does, it does have that train wreck kind of appeal. And it was, the original cut was about three hours. 
They chopped it down to 90 minutes. And you can kind of tell that there's some like leftover characters that like they just sort of pop up three quarters of the way in. And it's like, who, yeah. <laughs> who is, who is that? Like, as we'll see, like who, who is Myrtle? Um, so anyway, so, so here's what happens. Uh, so it opens with a sex scene in a cemetery, right? Like any good movie should. Right. Don't mess around in cemeteries, people. <laughs> well, apparently not. So, so the guy that looks kind of like Bing Crosby on a on a bad day, he gets killed by the by the by the woman that he's with. Not that any of the kids listening know who Bing Crosby is. Uh, excuse, excuse me, David. <laughs> Cro- and actually, I'm screwing up because it's David Crosby, not Bing Crosby. What am I saying? Very good. Very good. So, so David Crosby is is killed by the by the woman that he's that he's with. We cut to his funeral uh we're introduced to jody and reggie who are the two older characters uh at which point it becomes very very clear that uh like if there was a wikipedia article for just like the concept of the director didn't want to hire real actors so he just hired his friends like the picture of reggie would be right on on that on that article uh, so, so they're at the funeral, um, and the big, the big introduction of the, of the tall man, uh, Jody enters the mausoleum, which looks great. Like for, for a low budget movie, there's a few things in it that look, that look great. The mausoleum is one of them. Uh, Jody's three piece blue suit is also one of them. The clothing in general in this movie Granted. is great. Yeah. Um, and he, like, he hears some strange noises. Uh, the tall man approaches him. For the first time in the movie, he tells him the funeral is about to start. Um, and we cut to the cemetery and we're introduced to, uh, well, we hear for the first time, we, we hear about Michael, who's going to be the main character. And we hear that they're, Jody, Jody and Michael are brothers. We hear that their parents died. We hear that Michael has been having nightmares for weeks. Hint, hint. Turns out that's a hint. You don't know at the time. Uh, right. So, so what's really interesting about one of the things that's interesting about Michael's character is he has absolutely no supervision. He's 13 and he has no supervision whatsoever. He is driving cars, driving motorcycles, drinking and and no one cares. He's just he's just doing it, right? Um I think that's another hint, right? Yeah, that that certainly could be like there's an unreliable nar- narrator kind of aspect to it, and like how is he? Yeah, how he, and they drive they drive what's become an, an iconic, I believe it's called a Hemi Cuda car, which is iconic in the in the mm-hmm. horror, in the horror community. Uh, so Michael's spying on on the cemetery. He sees the tall man single handedly lift this casket. He thinks that's strange. Uh, we kind of just cut to this scene of an old lady. Uh, this. There's this old woman who lives with her granddaughter. And the grandmother yeah. doesn't really say much. He has she has Jody put she has Michael put her uh, his hand in a box that appears out of nowhere. And no one's really phased by this box appearing out of nowhere. Uh which is kind of kind of a recurring theme. Um so so anyway, uh as as the plot unfolds, uh Michael starts visiting the cemetery. Uh again, he just like kind of kind of drives there the the tall man starts stalking him uh he follows he follows his brother on a date his date also starts having sex in a cemetery um these these dwarfs start chasing them 
uh, he kind of, Michael winds up getting attacked by the tall man in the mausoleum. Uh, and in one of the great scenes of the movie, uh, the tall man is chasing him and Michael winds up cutting off the fingertips of the tall man and it starts spurting all this yellow right. blood. Um, and in one, of, in one of the great moments, and I guess this is part, this is part of like the negative reaction, uh, Michael takes home the finger in a box and he shows it yeah. to Michael like as proof that this strange thing is going on. And uh, he, shows, he, shows, excuse me, he shows it to Jody as proof that this strange thing is going on. And Jody opens up the box, sees this like disembodied finger in this pool of yellow stuff. And he closes it and he just goes, okay. And, and that's, and that's it. And that's just kind of like, how, yep. <laughs> yeah. And that's just kind of how, how people, uh, how people react. Um, so, so they resolve with Reggie to go to the, uh, to the music, to the funeral home to try to kill the tall man. Um, they wind up in this strange room where there, there's all these barrels uh, and you're kind of waiting the whole time for some kind of explanation of what's going on. Like, who is the tall man? Like, what does he want? And there's these two, like, metal poles. And Michael just touches them, and he gets pulled in. And this, this scene looks great, as bizarre as it is. He gets pulled into this strange world where he sees all the dwarves, like, toiling on this kind of this red planet. And they, Reggie, Reggie and Jody pull him out. And in, in what I guess can only be described as the explanation of what's happening in the movie, they say, uh, Michael says, he says, I figured out what's going on. They're using the dwarves for slaves. They got to crush them because of the gravity and the heat. And this is the door to their planet. And that's it. Like, that's the explanation that you get. Like, this tall man guy is, like, taking people from our planet, quote unquote, crushing them to be dwarf slaves on some other planet. Uh, and that's really all you get, right? Um, so they escape. They basically trick the tall man into falling into a mine uh, in the least convincing death of a villain in horror movie history. They just throw rocks on him and then leave as if that's going to do anything. Um, and in the final scene, uh, we find out. So, so Michael wakes up and he's talking to, to Reggie. And actually, basically what they try to convey is that whole thing was a dream. Uh, Jody has also died. And since that happened, Michael has been having all these nightmares. Uh, Reggie says, let's just go on a, on, a film, on a field trip for a couple of weeks. What do you expect? You've hardly slept since the funeral last week. I know those rocks aren't going to hold him. First he took mom and dad. Then he took Jody. Now he's after me. Mike, that tall man of yours did not take Jody away. Jody died in a car wreck. You had a bad dream. Now, I know you're scared. But you're not alone. I'll take care of you. I know I can't ever take Jody's place, but I'm sure as hell gonna try. Seems real. You know, partner, what we need is a change of scenery. 
you and me hit the road for a couple of weeks? Where will it go? <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess we can figure that one out when we get there. Get on upstairs, get your gear together. Let's leave when the sun comes up. Michael goes upstairs to his to his bedroom to get his stuff, and he closes the door to his to his bedroom. He sees the tall man. The tall man delivers the trademark boy. And these mysterious hands just pull Michael into into a mirror. Uh, in another, like hard to describe it, but it's actually one of the one of the best shots of the film, um, and it just kind of ends. It just ends there, right? So it's never entirely clear what's going on, aside from like it's all variations of a nightmare that this kid is is having, right? Some members of his family have died, his parents, maybe his older brother also, and he's just kind of nightmaring slash hallucinating this tall man guy who is out to get yeah let's pause on that for for just a quick second so the end of the film uh shows you is trying to tell you uh that it was all a dream yeah in this in this case we would call it a nightmare uh and you know that uh maybe that was a dream within a dream it's kind of sounds like um a recent episode on this podcast where we talked about inception it sure does yeah so (laughs) i thought that was interesting when i finally got to the end of the film i'm like huh okay all right and so we don't know um there have there are four other sequels to this there are five films in this phantasm thing simultaneously explain and confuse you more. So, right. So, um, and so, as if we happens. just take, if we just take Phantasm by itself and not any of the sequels, which is, I think, the what end we of the do. film is ambiguous. Yeah, yeah we got to do that, yeah. right? You, know, you, you sometimes you got to just do Nightmare on Elm Street and then not talk about anything else that came after it. But, or you know, Friday the Thirteenth or whatever. Uh, but. The end of the film is ambiguous. We don't know if that's, you know, Mike waking up from a dream and then still having a dream with the tall man or the tall man was real and all of the explanation that was part of that. You know, the dwarves and the crushing and the (laughs) other dimension was actually all real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. so it's ambiguous. Yeah, and, and, and the, the way the way I took it was the the nightmare aspect is a good way of explaining away all of the nonsense that had preceded it. Yeah. Right? So like if you're just having a yeah, nightmare a lot of nonsense. and it's like, oh, like I have this friend that died and now he's a dwarf, right? Well, like suddenly <laughs> suddenly you're in a different dimension. And you get out of it and you're like, yeah, like 
they're crushing people because of into dwarves because of the gravity and the heat. Right. And it's like, yeah. it, like not, it's, it's such a perfect nonsense sentiment. Like none of that makes any sense whatsoever, but that's kind of how dreams work. It's like, it's this, it's this mix of, of real world logic and, and nonsense. So, you know, like the, the way I take it is, uh, and, and kind of informed by the director, Don Coscarelli, what he said about it is it's just like this kid is just working through his fear of death. And he's having these nightmares. Yeah, and also, and also the mourning and the grief for a thirteen-year-old. That's the biggest takeaway that I got from this film. Yeah. Was that it was? It's a, it's a, uh, an an examination of how a thirteen-year-old might actually deal with tragic deaths of close family members, yeah. uh, because it's revealed in the end that Jody died in a. Car accident, which cars in the film are a big part that they're a big visual element. There's a lot of stuff that happens with cars. Yeah. Um, not only the the uh, the car that you were talking about, uh, the muscle car, the but the, the Hemikuda, uh, but also that Mike is the one who fixes them. So it's, he's trying to fix. Yeah, he's fixing. Right, Jody he's fixing the car. Died and, in the car accident. And while while he's in another another like what the hell kind of kind of element, he's fixing the car. One of the doors breaks in and drops the car on him, and he's fine. Like yeah. he's totally. He just once once Jody arrives and gets the car off, he's just like up and he's and he's fine. Yeah, and that's when bad acting <laughs> proceeds to occur. <laughs> so, so I'll I'll say this about about the kid the the kid that plays that plays Michael. Uh, I I think he is convincing. I, I don't say I wouldn't say that I relate to him. I didn't feel like he represents every kid. I feel like he represents every other kid. And he's sort of like <laughs> because it's sort kid. of like. When you're when you're 13 and you're imagining, oh, like, wouldn't it be awesome if I just had no parental restraint whatsoever and I could just drive cars and drink and be out all night and go to cemeteries for fun? And he, yeah. he like he pulls that off and he has like he has that kind of do, do, doughy eyed kind of quality to him. It's also aided by his look, which I feel like one, one of the YouTubes I'll, I'll give credit. Uh, correctly points out he has amazing he has an amazing fire faucet hairstyle he does i will grant that for you know mid seven mid to late yeah. 70s it was it was lush and the the outfit is spectacular and in general the outfits in this movie are spectacular but michael has um he he wears the corduroy shirt with the bell bottoms with just a little bit of flair and and these pretty cool adidas and actually i think most of the characters are wearing pretty cool adidas in the in the film. Uh, so it just kind of like, I, like I got, you know, it's, it, to bring, to bring up the central concept of like, how do we judge what's good and bad? And how is that informed by, by psychology? It's like, who's to say like what acting is supposed to be right for me? Like, he's not like, is anyone going to, is going to, is anyone going to mistake him for, for, you know, some better actor? <laughs> no, but, but, I've, but it, yeah. what I mean, they have to be believable. We have to buy into their their fear or sadness or whatever. But if it's just like I'm looking at a piece of 
at a brick <laughs> try to experience the full range of human emotions i'm gonna be like no that's not so so i it's not really doing it for I, I me i bought him as scared and i bought him as being in over his head he does like i'll grant you the in over his yeah. head which which he probably was because he was not an actual not really an actor right so in that sense perhaps <laughs> perhaps it's just the fear of of acting well that is portrayed in his p- performance but i felt like i felt like it gave me enough for, for for me to be like yeah like he's he's at least giving off the proper attributes and i can like by by the end when he quote unquote wakes up and he's crying as a result of a memory of of his brother and his parents i did feel for him like i at least got that out uh so okay so we we were talking about uh fear is a big theme in this right and you had brought up the scene with the fortune teller and i think that scene is really important as a setup for the rest of the the stuff in the plot and the stuff in the film yes even though even though those characters are essentially never seen again Aside, aside from the girl presumably dying off camera, which they never really explain. But yes, it is, it is, it's, it's the introduction to the idea that this kid is, is fighting fear. Yeah. So walking down the street and he makes an abrupt turn at this overgrown house and he knocks on the door and he's uh, like, yo, is your grandmother home? And... The girl that answers the door, the granddaughter, says, oh, well, Hi, Michael. Hi. Uh, is your grandmother home? Sure, come in. Yeah, oh, duh. <laughs> of course she's home. Grandmother, Michael has returned and wishes to speak with you. And so he goes in and he goes in for a reading and he's like, I'm really scared that my brother is is leaving you've come and wants to know what's bothering you oh tell her that i um she can hear you oh yeah uh it's jody again i found out that he's leaving And she doesn't say uh, anything. And she basically uses her granddaughter as a uh, uh, as a medium. Essentially, she's not dead, but she's using her as a mouthpiece. And he gets this box, as you said, appears, and he goes, "Oh my gosh, where'd this box come from?" But that. Grandmother has told you before not to worry. If he does leave, he'll take you with him. God, I hope she's right. She always is. Uh, there's something else. I'm really scared about something that I did. I was messing around up at Morningside Cemetery, and I saw something. Something really scary. But everyone else was like nonplussed about it. And he and he showed, you know, he showed his uh, his acting range from his pinky. Michael, grandmother wants to play a little game. Wow, how'd you do that? Put your hand in the box. Well, what's in it? Just put your hand in the black box. So he <laughs> puts his hand inside 
And I think this was the because it happened at the beginning of the film with the great soundtrack. I can't get my hand out. Don't fear. Give me back my hand. Don't fear. I actually got a little uh, like uh, a little elevated in the heart rate. Then he put his hand in there. I, it was simple reflection. Fear is the killer. That's what grandmother wants you to learn. I thought maybe it was going to come out, uh, you know, a bone or something like that, or it was going to get cut off or whatnot. Uh, and, you know, he struggles for maybe five seconds. And uh, then then he's released from it when he's told not to fear. <laughs> and so you're like, oh, OK, this is going to come up again. And it does. It's used for the uh, that mostly climax part where he's, you know, sucked into the other dimension because it's uh, the two prongs create a different dimension. And so but it's kind of like one of those um, funhouse mirrors or something like that where uh, you don't really see what's behind it. It's like reflecting what's behind it or something like it's something like that. Uh, and so everybody sticks his hand to it, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's a box. God, Reggie, look at this. Don't fear. Stay together. Wait a sec. I think I got a lighter. Quick, light it up. <laughs> when you're done watching the film and you're like, oh, it was a nightmare. Uh, man, his nightmare <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Sort of. Uh, for, for a nightmare, yes. For a nightmare, it makes sense. Yes. That's certainly true. So I, I, I found that to be one of my favorite uh, scenes in the movie and it speaks to you know, the the idea about understanding fear right yeah and I, I think we should also we should also touch on the orb scene as it is probably the, the most the most memorable and I think fits yeah. with, the, with, with the with the scene as with, with the theme as brief as it is so so when Michael is broken into the the mausoleum for the first time he's kind of confronted by 
someone who appears to be a lackey of the tall man, never fully explained, but that's okay. And it's he's referred to be uh, in the script as okay. the Undertaker. Sure, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so so he's the 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 Undertaker. Let's call him is is chasing is chasing Michael. This orb appears. It's just a small, kind of the size, probably the size of a baseball. It's really not very big. It's just a small silver orb. It appears. Uh, it's, it's levitating. It's going towards Michael. Uh, Michael ducks. So it uh, starts drilling into the head of the of the Undertaker, and what you see is like it opens up on the other side. And you see the blood spurting out. And that's one scene that I feel like the uh, the length of time that the blood is spurting out approaches comic lengths. It's a good, like, five seconds where it's like, all yes, right, like, it this is. is <laughs> it doesn't, you know, like, I, I wouldn't say it's really a gory film in general. And, and, that, and that particular effect is not really realistic looking in any in any particular way, but I think they get away with it because it's just like, yeah, like we're just going to let this go a couple more seconds than we really need to. Um, and then he falls to the floor and, and dies and, and someone infamously pisses himself. Yeah. So the, I wanted to add this as a bit of a bit of a trivia for this part because waiting to jump in here. Uh, it was, the film was going to be X rated because <laughs> of the P because we don't, nobody dies in movies and pees themselves. And Coscarelli was like, no, 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 it has to stay in. And so he called a friend of his at the MPAA and was like, look, <laughs> it's just pee. We all pee. Can we just. Can we, yeah. can we keep it as. Can we just keep it in there and get that R rating? Because if this is rated X, I nobody's going to be able to see it. Nobody's going to go see it. It's no theater's going to have it. And I really need it to be PG or it's <laughs> not PG <laughs> R. And he 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 lucked out. His friend talked to the rest of the uh, the people in charge of rating and the, the raiders or whatever. And they uh, overturned that preliminary rating. Thankfully. And he got it R. Well, yeah, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be graced <laughs> with it. Well, you know, to, he said with sarcasm. To, to bring it back to if the it was idea that you have to get in context. So, you know, like I, I was, I was iffy on that scene the first time I saw it because it is, uh, it's it's not that movie has some great looking shots. That is not one of them. Um, but when you look it up, you no. know, it, the reason why it's in there is because Coscarelli had a nightmare where that kind of thing was attacking him. And, you know, and like, that's kind of how nightmares yeah, work, true. which is just like something weird will happen. And that's just kind of it. So I got that little bit of context and I thought, oh, like, yeah, like that kind of makes sense. Like, that's how nightmares work. Like this thing comes out of nowhere and tries to kill you. And it's like drilled into your head and spurting out this insane amount of blood. Like, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. So it kind of. Yeah, so like yeah, the, it sounds like the, a nightmare to me. Like that cohesive theme of the of the fear and the nightmare makes like the train wreckiness of it kind of come together at the end if you uh, if you are willing to to let it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Uh, so did you want to say anything more about fear specifically? Yeah. So I think like, you know, the interesting, perhaps the most interesting thing for a couple, a couple psychologists to talk about a horror movie is kind of the age old question of why do we like horror movies? Uh, and there's, there's, there's a few, there's a few views on it. I think one of the big reasons why we're unlikely to reach a definite conclusion is because there just aren't any experiments that use entire horror movies as stimuli, right? Because that would kind of be hard to do. So a lot of what we have is just kind of like speculation and surveys and experiments that will use just like a short clip, which I feel like is not really like not really a great stand in. Um, so I think the, the, the adaptive reason for fear is pretty clear, right? That's not a big mystery, right? There are these things that can harm us like snakes, right? So, so we have a fear of snakes so that when we see something dangerous, right. we, we run, right? And so like, basically that's why, why fear is there, right? So the work on fear is, I think is pretty clear on that. Like fear is there to grab your attention. It's there to make you less risk averse and it's there to make you get the hell out of, of wherever you are so that you remain safe. Right. Um, so that's like, that's not so much of a mystery, right? The mystery is more like, why is fiction that puts that apparently aversive thing front and center? So insanely popular and probably why is it popular been so popular throughout time? Like I would, I would guess that the first, among the first works of fiction created by humans involved like monsters of some sort, right? If not the first art probably involves like a human running from, from a giant beast, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of older, uh, civilization stories, uh, the, you know, mythology, Greek, Greek, Roman mythology all constantly has, you know, monsters and beasts and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I thought we could like reason we could we could talk about maybe the one or two most common explanations and then maybe try to add in some color some color of our of our own. Go for it. So who or what is is your favorite? Yeah. So uh there's there's a couple of papers by Tyus Clayson, who's been summarizing this. Uh and basically like probably the biggest idea is uh, like the idea of perverse pleasure. The idea is basically like a little bit of a bad thing feels kind of good. Right. And that applies to, to fear. It applies to like eating spicy food. Um, and the main idea of it is like by exposing yourself to a little bit of a bad thing, you're pushing the envelope of what you're capable of and what you're capable of, of experiencing. Um, and kind of a related idea is like this is the simulation idea. So when you're watching a horror movie, maybe part of why it is, uh, it is in the end enjoyable is because you are like simulating bad things happening to you and essentially practicing how you would deal in those situations. So by watching the full movie. Oh man, people would, f would fail miserably, I think. <laughs> Geico, Geico has a new commercial about, yeah, maybe, <laughs> uh, about, about them, you know, 
a group of a group of people who are doing the the horror tropes, the standard <laughs> horror tropes. One girl's like, "Can we just leave to the with running car?" And then the other guy is like, "Are you crazy?" Yeah. So let's go hide behind these chainsaws. Yeah. So I, I don't know how I feel about the simulation idea, right? Like, kind of because of what you're of what you're saying, right? Because I don't know if it's a good simulation. I I, I will say what I like about that uh, idea is. I know for sure I feel myself simulating afterwards. But that's not a good feeling. Right? So so like right. Couple- it's kind of it, I I saw a meme uh yesterday, just yesterday. Uh somebody had a picture of a ghost hunter and it said ghost hunters turn all of the lights off to turn a flashlight yeah. on. So I think that 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 kind of represents this like uh, post hoc yeah. simulation. Well, 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 for me, what happens is this is why I say like I don't. I think it happens, but I don't think it's why it's why they're why they're enjoyable. Is you know, like a, a couple of days after watching a horror movie, I might get the feeling that like a killer is at my door, right? And that's not like that's not good. That's when I question like maybe I don't like maybe I don't like the horror movies, right? Um, so I think the simulation idea is interesting. I don't know if it explains the the pleasure, right? Uh, you know, the idea like does it broaden sure. the envelope of what you're capable of, and um, like you get to feel yourself, you get to feel yourself gaining autonomy by watching this this series of ever increasing of increasingly violent movies. Um, maybe I feel like there's something to that. I don't feel like it's a complete explanation, right? Um, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like it's something. Um, and the, like an, another idea that I thought was kind of interesting. So there's there's a patient, uh, kind of like HM. There's a patient SM who had amygdala lesions, and she did not have fear. Right, so she would see snakes and tarantulas and not be scared at all, and she would watch horror movies and not be scared at all. Um, and her feelings towards those things were that she loved them. She thought snakes were great. She, like, experimenters showed her clips of horror movies. Her reaction was, like, she wanted to know the name so she could go home and rent them. Um, and she loved going to, to amusement parks, right? <laughs> so to me, that kind of means, like, maybe it's not really the fear. Like, the fear is maybe what makes it kind of notable and what makes it controversial and kind of gets people in the door. But really what's going on, at least that explains the the pleasure, is just like the adrenaline and the imagery and the excitement of the stories, right? And the fear just happens to be like a tangential thing that's there. Um so so that's one thing. Uh another thing that I thought was interesting, which I was I was curious to, to hear your opinion on. Uh is is our horror movies actually scary? Right? Because I know you mentioned... In, well, I think it depends. Well, often they're not. Right? And No. Uh, off, I guess it depends on what subgenre you want to talk about. Right? So, I mean... And this is coming from somebody who is not a big horror watcher. Uh, it is probably 
uh, among the least frequented uh, genre that I that I yeah. uh, that I watch. So, but I do like suspense films. And suspense films do have elements of scary or elements of horror. Yeah, uh, but they're yeah, not. It's not gory. quite the same thing, right? They're not necessarily right? slasher so, flicks. You know, one of one of the things that's interesting about, like, again, like getting the context of what people like in horror films is, I I, I feel like it is the case that most horror film horror film fans, aficionados, are not actually scared when they watch the movies. Um. And I know, like I've I've watched I've watched enough that I like I I don't really get scared except for one thing, which is jump scares. But the interesting thing about well, the inter- and I and the interesting thing one, about that is horror movie aficionados don't like jump scares because they feel as like it's a bit well because it engages yeah. our it engages yeah. our startle response, and you know that's one of the that's one of the reflexes that yeah. we still have. As as humans, we you know we've we've sloughed off a lot of our reflexes uh, compared to our our closest animal neighbors, and but we still kept our startle response because it has survival value, and that's what jump scares are one hundred percent stoking that that specific fear uh, that you are about to be attacked. And it's the, it's it's literally the same thing as if, you know, I'm walking down a, a hallway and I'm like, do to do minding my own business. And then somebody's like, yo, and I'm like, ah, and I, I literally feel like I'm out of my skin. Startle response. Be- and it's unpleasant and it's supposed to be unpleasant, which is why everyone yes, hates except, jump scares. Except yeah, that's the, my thought. The blockbuster horror movies tend to be filled with them. Right, like the most recent, the it, it part two, which, which I saw a couple weeks ago, would be the most most salient example for me. Right, it's all jump scares, and I hate all of them. Right, and I think that's it. Yeah, it yeah. just it just makes so, you like, feel I bad. Think that's the that's one of the interesting things. Like people that watch horror movies constantly don't want them. But for the big, for the blockbusters where they know it's going to get a, a wider audience, there it's going to be filled with them. And for like for that, my guess is, if you're just like if you're not a horror movie kind of a person, you actually do like you want to be able to leave and say you were scared, even if e- even if it wasn't pleasant yeah, in the moment. But I, right, it's just because like, it like also, I, I, I was think- promised scares. It also depends on... And that's the easiest way to provide it, so so that's what you get. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I also think that it helps to define uh, scare. Or, quote-unquote, I am scared. Because... The idea is, well, what if you're just creeped out by something? So, you know, the human centipede... (laughs) Is I, that's my limit. A I will horror not watch film. That it's a horror film. It's part of the genre, but it's a gore horror, and people who watch it leave just feeling icky. And that could be another way that horror films uh, get to the 
scared part like scare it depends on how you define it right and so like you're saying the big blockbusters decide you know we want people to be scared by start being startled and so we're gonna throw in a bunch of these jump scares and then they're gonna go tell their friends that it was scary and that's exactly what they want right they want people to go see it because they're scary and it turns out it's all jump scares and people leave yeah feeling I think uncomfortable. Like, in that case, like it, it but yeah, I mean, like, like it is a genuinely, it is a genuinely negative experience. But like because because they expect it, they walk away saying, "Oh, like that was awesome." Right. I think that I think that's valuable, and I think I have to say that that would lead me to not include <laughs> Phantasm. As a horror film. Well, yeah, I mean, so, so you know, to bring it back to Phantasm, I wouldn't, you know, I was not scared while watching Phantasm. There were some, there were some creepy images. And the, and the last scene in particular, yeah. Well, and I the, think that's the last my scene in particular where the, where the, the hands pull, pull Michael into the mirror, it's, uh, I, it's, it's, it's thrilling. I wouldn't say I was scared. Yeah, like it's not it's, it's not a, it's not a jump scare because you see the tall man first, so you kind of know something is coming. Right? Right. It's not right. It's not scary really, but it does get the adrenaline flowing. So it does like for me at least it skips it skips right to the positivity. Adrenaline. I mean that's fine too. Uh I was surprised by the final surprise. Hence Hence my surprise. But at, at no point was I thinking to myself, you know, this is really scary. I and mean, it was set at night uh, quite a bit. And it's supposed to be a nightmare. Uh, the fly <laughs> situation, which was created from the finger. We, we, we didn't mention the, was, fly, the fly scene, which is one of the best scenes where, yes, their actors are forced to pretend that 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 the inanimate object yes. in their hands is a dangerous flying beast when really they just have not like a, a felt a felt piece of nothing and, in their hands yeah <laughs> yeah so they have to act as though it is applying force to their muscles in in ways that they do not want to be forced and so like, oh my hands are up high now they're down low now yes, they're over that to is the one side. scene that i can't really i can't, uh, I can't really put a silver lining on that one yeah it uh it's one of those comical things where you're like okay all right three squirts of blood that was fine no five but six oh 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 you're still going okay was this guy supposed to be a minion? Well, he had red so blood. He was human, so right? I guess not. He's not from the. He was human, yeah, because he peed himself when he died, uh, which makes sense, by the way. Uh, just yes. incontinence yes. upon death. That makes sense. <laughs> so, so kudos so for kudos to scientific accuracy in the middle that. of this. Otherwise, otherwise, yes, totally exactly, nonsensical. Exactly. Yeah, we got to keep it nonsensical piece of work. <laughs> and and un and unnecessary. Yes, there was <laughs> there was <laughs> there is no one that watches. There there is no one that a second before it happens is going like, "Where's that urine?" Because I want to see that urine. Yeah. All right, I want to thank Randy for joining me on this Halloween episode. Ooh. 
talking about uh, the horror cult classic with infinite emphasis on cult, uh, Phantasm. Randy, uh, while you say goodbye, do you have anything to plug? Well, I think we should direct people towards our our last paper, which is a wonderful journey. It's a good journey through the uh, many of the of the issues with the very very popular Myers Briggs type indicator. And what we what we try to do in that paper is get people off of the bad ideas and onto good ones. Uh, which is, I think, is a, is a good goal for just about anyone. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you should all go read that. If you uh, want a link, I can uh, certainly provide that uh, oh, while I plug my own stuff. Thanks, Randy. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank Randy Stein for joining me on this episode. Until the next episode, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>